I don't know about you guys, but I am looking forward to getting into our second week on our walk through Colossians. And uh, we're actually going to read uh, part of what we covered last week. We went down through verse 5 last week, but um, I, don't, I don't like to just skip past. We kind of want to pick up some stuff before that in order to ensure that, that we've got some context. So we're going we're gonna to read Colossians 1, 3 through 8, and then we're going to pick up uh, some portions of that, uh, the latter part of, of verse 5 and some others this week. Here we go, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now we're going we're gonna to pick up in that second portion of verse 5. Last week we talked about because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That was our ending. But that second portion says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Now, the gospel, many of you know, literally means, that word gospel literally means good news. Good news. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news. Amen. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That is good news. M.R. Vincent in his word studies in the New Testament. Now, I like to pull some older stuff out. This actually is a word study from 1887. And he says, The truth is the contents of the word, and the gospel defines the character of the truth. All right. So you catch when, when we're seeing that, that statement in Colossians where he says that of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. This guy in writing this word study says, the truth is the contents of the word. And the gospel defines the character of the truth. In other words, the content is true. It is accurate. It's not false. It's not fake. It's not made up. And the, the, the word the gospel defines the character of that truth. That truth is good news. That's why Paul said that. He said, you have heard before in the word of the truth, this thing that is, that is accurate, this thing that is provable, this thing that is steadfast and sure. He said, you have heard of this in the word of the truth, and that truth that you have heard is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel includes a change in future life, but also a change in current life. 
In, in fact, a proper understanding of the impact on the future is what changes our current life. Believers, we should be living our current lives in a way that demonstrate that we grasp that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give account for how we've utilized this great gift and this powerful knowledge that has been given to us. It's not, a, it's not a legalism thing. It's not about trying to earn favor or curry God's favor. It's not about trying to earn our salvation because we can't do that. That's the gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast, the word says. But instead, we should be recognizing that if we truly grasp that one day you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for how we've utilized this great gift that we've been given, this great gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, this knowledge of who He is and what He has done for us. It's a high form of disrespect to not live today in appreciation and thankfulness for the provision that God has made for the future. Let me say that again. It is a high form of disrespect to not live today in appreciation and thankfulness for the provision that God has made for the future. Martin Luther King once made a powerful statement in a speech. You know, it is as, as we're here on the weekend where the celebration will, will occur of Martin Luther King Day, it's, it's such an interesting historical note that... He gave the speech that I'm about to give you a, a small portion out of uh, immediately before that he would actually be assassinated. And, and you'll see in this very portion that I'm going to read, it's almost as if he was cognizant of somehow of, of what was going to happen, whether it was uh, going to happen soon, or but he had a sense of that. This is what he said in this speech. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I have been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So there was a, there was a mentality in, in what Dr. King saw. He, he said, look, I, I don't even know if I'm going to be one who will make it to that place. But I've seen what the future is going to look like. You hear me? I've seen what the future is going to look like, and so it, it affects me with hope today, even though it's not yet achieved, even though we're not yet there, and I don't even know if I will be one who makes it, but I see the future out in front of us. That's what affects the believer. When we have recognized and heard the word of the truth, the gospel, knowing what is going to happen in the future then affects us in how we live today. 
God's Word either causes believers to live righteously, as we see in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, where it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is breathed out by God and is profitable for those things. Or else we find that the Word of God will convict the believer of living foolishly, James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Paul's statement of, you have heard before, was drawing a distinction between the earlier teaching that had been given them through Epaphras Versus more recent teaching that was heretical. Remember, Epaphras founded this church in Colossae. And Paul is having to write and say, look, when, when I'm saying to you that of this you heard before, he was drawing a marked contrast between what you were once taught when you came to Christ through Epaphras, and now you're listening to something else that's being taught now, and it's heretical. It was nearly frightening as I was thinking this week about how many people are leaving the solid foundational teaching that they received early in their spiritual walk. How many people that we see out in the, in the church world today who you know that they got solid doctrinal teaching and yet they have gone off into some of the weirdest liberal shenanigans and, 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 and off into just, just spiritual, essentially heresy. They will, they will deny one thing about God's Word while fanatically embracing another thing in God's Word. They'll promote this particular thing in social justice, but they will totally ignore something else in, in the, the realm of whether it's social justice or life, abortion, things like that. And, and you know that they received proper instruction and proper teaching and saw that in the Word of God, but yet they will listen to heretical teaching and teachers now and allow themselves to be led astray from what they have seen and known to be true in God's Word, but, but now it's not true anymore. Well, that's how do we even know? This is what Paul was, was combating. He goes on then in verse 6 and he says, uh, speaking of this word of the truth and the gospel, he says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. In the whole world. I, I, when, when we start thinking about the gospel going out into the world, it just drives me back to John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is a, this is a powerful statement in, in Paul's letter. The gospel has two unique qualities that we're going to see here. Number one is it is for the individual 
because only the individual can respond to the gospel. But number two is, it is universal for all mankind. For God so loved the world. The world. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. His his gospel was universal. It was to be shared with the entire world, but only the individual can respond to it. And we got to keep in mind that Paul's world was essentially the Mediterranean and the surrounding areas. So he understood something very specific. He understood that the world of humanity itself was made up of Jews and Gentiles. Just Jews and Gentiles. I want you to keep that thought. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That was the Gentile. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now I want to tell you why this is important. This, this understanding of the world and understanding contextually what Paul saw as the world and how he referred to it. Because we could look and say, well, well, but they didn't know about America and they didn't know about uh, Native Americans and they didn't know about a lot of other things because his world was kind of small to him. That's because that, that, that we start thinking just purely geographically. But Paul was thinking spiritually. And spiritually, there were only two groups of people at that time. It was Jews and it was Gentiles. Now, I want you to look around the room today. Because if you look around the room, you will see that we have some varied levels of melatonin in our body of worship, our group of fellowship today. Quite honestly, if we just break it down, we have some folks who are white. We have some folks who are black. We have some folks who are brown that are here. That's just what makes up our body of believers here. And here's, here's the reality, though. When we look around at each other, in America, we tend to talk about, well, we have Caucasian, well, we have African-American, well, we have Hispanic, we have Latino, we have Asian, we have all of these different things. We have Filipino. We, have, we just come up with all of these dividers. But in Paul's world, all you had was Jews and Gentiles, people who weren't Jews. Now, I want to share something with you. When I look around the room today, here's the reality. I know all of you. I know a little bit about most of your backgrounds. I don't think there's a single person here that is Jewish. So what does that mean then? That means that when you look around this room and you see white and you see black and you see Hispanic, and if we had Asian, if we had Native American, if we had Filipino, if we had any other ethnicity in this room today, here would be the reality. We all would fall into the Gentile category. And Paul recognized this. And so what he was also telling people, but because there was a there was a thought process that the Messiah was only going to come to the Jewish people. We understand that Israel was God's chosen people, but then he branched out and he allowed others to be grafted in which would be the Gentiles, 
who praised God would be us. And so Paul is speaking to a church and he is telling them, he says, look, this thing that, that, that God is doing, this gospel, this truth, it has come to you and indeed it's in the whole world. It's gone to Jews, it's going to Gentiles, it's going to the whole world and it's bearing fruit and increasing because it is the power of God to everyone for salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because it was in one spirit that we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, all were made to drink of this one spirit. We've been made one. That's the powerful thing about what the message of the gospel is, that, that it tore down the dividing walls. It tore down the separation between Jews and Gentiles. And God help us today. We need it to tear down the walls of ethnicity even within the United States. Look, I appreciate and I celebrate the differences and the cultural things that we find in different ethnicities that, that make their way into, whether it's our congregation, into our city, into our country. But when we start talking about the people of God, it's no longer about us having these differences, but it is that we are made one in Jesus Christ. That there is no separation, not because of age, not because that, well, salvation is only for men versus women. Not, not, well, salvation is only for Caucasians and not, none of these things, all of those things were done away with and we were made one in Jesus Christ, baptized into one body. But he goes on to say that in the whole world, this gospel is bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit. I was reading Matthew Henry's commentary about this passage, and this is what he said. All who hear the word of the gospel ought to bring forth the fruit of the gospel. That is, be obedient to it and have their principles and lives formed according to it. This was the doctrine first preached. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance, Matthew 3 and 8. And our Lord says, if you know these things... Happy are you if you do them, John 13 and 17. Listen to that. He says, if, for, for the gospel to bring forth fruit, which Paul says in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Matthew Henry in writing that says, look, the fruit of the gospel ought to be showing up in you. What does that mean? It means that you ought to be increasing in obedience to what God's word has said because the principles of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, it ought to be shaping and forming our lives. That's the fruit that it begins to, to, to bring forth. That we get changed that our lives, it's not just, well, okay, I, I, now I don't have to die and go to hell. I get to go to heaven. But no, but our lives are actually changed and fashioned after the nature of Christ. That we begin to mature. We go through that process of maturation where that we begin to lay aside. In fact, uh, the, the old folks used to, to call this when, when I was younger. That's been a while. But when I was younger, even older people back then, they would call this the process of sanctification. 
Becoming more like Christ. Laying aside sin. Being able to take things in our lives that we were gaining mastery over as we allowed the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and as we grew in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, as we grew in our relationship with God, these things would get laid aside. And so we would grow and we would gain mastery over different things in our lives. Now, look, the honest truth is I have absolutely seen people be given what you might would call miraculous victory over things in their lives. I've seen people that when, when they got saved and they realized, you know what, I, I, really, I don't need to be smoking, I don't need to be drinking, I need to put these things down. And I have watched as people have literally taken and they, they, they throw a pack of cigarettes on the altar and 50 years later they've never smoked another one. I've also seen where that people got convicted over something like that and they had to go through the process of weaning off of something that they were addicted to. Now, can I explain to you and tell you why God chose in one person's life to just instantaneously deliver them from something and in someone else it goes through the process of, of discipline and them developing that ability to wean off of that? I, I can't see the mind of God on that and know why He chooses to do differently with different people. But I will tell you this, to be able to turn around and say 50 years later, well, I never changed. You know, God never really changed anything much in my life. And I'm going to tell you, you didn't have a conversion experience. Because none of us are close to the perfection of Jesus Christ. And so there are things in our lives that he has to change, that he has to shape and that he has to form. And so the gospel needs to bear fruit in us as well as in the global world. That's why when we talk about that the gospel is both for the individual, but it is also universal, then the fruit that we see applies to both of those scenarios. At the individual level, then our lives should begin to reflect the fruit of the gospel affecting us individually. But then in the grander scheme of the world, he says, hey, the gospel, when it goes out, it will win the lost. I often reflect back on the, the trip to Uganda in 2015. And Stephen is about to go here in another month and will be heading back to Uganda to share the gospel again. But I'm telling you, I saw something that I had never in my life seen that I have shared with you. And it was an openness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I really got to see... This very passage being played out in the whole world, it was bearing fruit increasing. Because you would walk up to a, to a store, to a shop that was there, and you would, you would, through your translator, you would ask that, you know, this person has come from America, they're here, and they want to share a story with you that changed their life. Do you want to listen? And people say, okay. And you would begin to share this the basic story of, of your individual story of here's what happened in my life. Here's who I was. Here's how the gospel hit me, impacted me. I gave my life to Christ, and here's what he changed to make me. I once was this, but I now I'm this. We often sing that in, in the song, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. The gospel bearing fruit. Weist, in his word studies from the Greek New Testament, 
shares this insight. The participles bearing fruit and increasing are in the middle voice. Lightfoot comments, the middle denotes the inherent energy. The gospel is essentially a reproductive organism, a plant whose seed is in itself. The gospel is not like those plants which exhaust themselves bearing fruit and wither away. The external growth keeps pace with the reproductive energy, while bearing fruit describes the inner working, increasing gives the outward extension of the gospel. The expression, the grace of God in truth, means the grace of God in its genuine simplicity without adulteration. Now, what's he saying? Here's what he's saying. He says, look, there is an energy that is inherent because of this middle voice to the seed of the gospel. And, and what it means is that the gospel itself contains its seed. It, it doesn't die. When it goes out, you know, most of the time we think about that a seed goes out and then it dies and then something grows. And the gospel... In and of itself, it has seed within itself, but, but it doesn't die. It has this inherent energy. It's a reproductive organism. It, it doesn't bear fruit and then wither away. It's not like some of those plants that I have planted at different times around houses that we've lived in where that I went and spent money during the summer and, and got a bunch of plants and went out and planted all that stuff. And maybe it looked good for you know, a few weeks. Next year, they're all dead. They don't come back. And I got to go do this whole process again. That's not the gospel. The gospel, it's like an evergreen tree. It, it goes, it plants. Yes, it bears fruit, but it never dies. It has energy within it. If the seed of the gospel begins to grow and bear fruit, then we see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we've got to keep in mind that Paul was writing this letter during a time when Christianity was very young. Christianity was not socially accepted. Christianity was persecuted by the government and the cultural elite. And Christianity was itself condemned by the religious establishment. Now, now let's stop and think about that because We've been, most of us have grown up in Christianity. Even if you didn't go to church as a kid or whatever, the surrounding culture in America was Christian. Now, it doesn't mean that, that everybody was following and doing what they ought to do, but the, the concept of God, the concept of prayer, even when I was a kid, prayer in school. I can remember when, when you might would hear a morning prayer over the, uh, the PA system. So we're not accustomed to an environment and a culture or a society where Christianity is not the norm. And certainly we're not really accustomed to where Christianity was not the majority. Now, we're approaching a place in our country where that Christianity is not as prevalent as what it was. And, and, and to be quite honest, even within the churches that proclaim themselves to be Christian, the heart of Christianity and, and being, being faithful to the biblical text is not as prevalent as it used to be. There's a lot of watered-down version of Christianity that's out there to make it more palatable for people who don't want their lives to change. Can I get an amen? But look... 
Paul, we've got to get our minds into the, the, into the culture that Paul was in when he's writing these things. Christianity came about because of Christ. We were having this discussion here the other Sunday night with the men because we have a tendency to talk about Christianity when we're in the Old Testament, and, and that's not Christianity. That's, that's Judaism. That's, that's where we, we see the Old Testament. Christianity came about through Christ. When Christ came on the scene, then we see Christianity. And so these guys are not that far removed they were the ones who were alive when Christ was alive. We're not that far removed from when Christ has died on the cross, been buried in the tomb, been resurrected, and gone back to heaven. It's not like America. These guys are a fledgling religion that are competing with the dominant religion of the time. It's a very young faith. It was not socially accepted. It wasn't socially accepted because what was, what was accepted in the culture was to be part of the Judaic religion. You're going to stick to the Old Testament. You're going to stick to the law. You're going to stick to all of that stuff. And, and quite honestly, in that culture, that had become less about uh, true fervent religion than it was just about adherence and, and using the law to beat on people. And it was just part of the political scene. Paul is promoting this gospel that's going to change people that was being persecuted by the government. And the cultural elite mocked at it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that's a little bit of what we're seeing in America right now. We have a cultural elite, we have a financial elite even, that they have decided that they are so enlightened and that they are removed from all that God could ever do, that they know better now. They have, they have gotten themselves past the point of needing the crutch of God. All of this stuff. And so the cultural elite mocks Christians in our culture today. We're closer on that standpoint, to at least from a mocking standpoint, that, that Paul was in his day. Because today all you have to do is turn on the television and, and they're going they're gonna, to, just about every preacher and minister they're going to show, he's going to be someone who is fooling around on the side. He's stealing and taking money. They'll do television shows about the preachers of Detroit and all this stuff of people who quite honestly, they are just, just leeching off of the people living in fantastic mansions and all this stuff while people in their very community and attend their churches are absolutely in abject poverty. But that's what our culture today is going to show you about ministers. They're going, to, they're going to tout every situation where there's ever a church that has a split, that has a problem, that has some issue, and ignore the 150 other ones in the general area that didn't have anything to do with that and didn't have any problem. When they show Christians, on tell them they're going to make them hateful. They're not going to show them having love and compassion toward people even when they don't agree with people holding to the word of God in truth, but speaking the truth in love. No, they're going to show them being hateful and all this stuff. There, that, That's the, the culture today. But Paul also faced then that condemnation by the religious establishment because there was such a bleed over between the religious culture and the political culture because those who had once been the, the ones who should have been guiding when it came to the spiritual matters and religion, they had just shifted over entirely into politics and they had lost sight of truly following after God himself. 
But in the midst of all of that, you hear me today, in the midst of all of that, Paul says the gospel is flourishing. How is this possible? I want you to keep in mind the power of the gospel is not found in your status. It's not found in your education. And quite honestly, it's not found even in the quality of your life. But rather the gospel power is found in the Holy Spirit. It's made alive by the Holy Spirit. The work that gets done in the gospel is accomplished by the Holy Spirit drawing people to Christ. Too often we have elevated because that people have some certain status because they have a financial status and, and they want to go into ministry or because they have an educational level that, that we go, oh my goodness, wow, look how wonderful they are. And hey, it's fantastic. You can read the Hebrew, you can read the Greek, you can do all that stuff. But if your life doesn't line up, if that doesn't impact, if all it does is impact your head, it doesn't impact your heart, doesn't impact your life, that's not where the power of the gospel is. It's not in a slick presentation. It's not in how well you can walk somebody down the Romans road. It's not about can you remember every one of the scriptures and illustrations and all this stuff. Look, we need to do those things. We need to train ourselves and prepare for those things. But it's not about whether you're a fantastic speaker or not. It's not about whether you like to get up in front of people. None of those things. The power of the gospel is not found in those things. The power of the gospel is in the working of the Holy Spirit impacting someone's heart, impacting someone's life. We too often have limited ourselves to not recognize even that one of the most powerful things that we have to share about the gospel is what has Jesus done for me? What did Jesus do in your life? What has Jesus done in my life? Where was I once and what has he done now? You might not remember every King James Bible verse that you would like to be able to share about the message of the gospel. But I guarantee you, you can look at somebody and say, let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you what my... You know, and for some people that extreme may be that they're talking about that they were in, in drug addiction or they were in alcoholism or they were in a, a failed marriage. They had all of these things. But you know what else it may be? I can tell you what else it may be because I stood in Uganda and I looked at people and I'd say, I was raised in a religious household. I was raised, my dad is a pastor. I was raised going to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Anytime there was a revival, you name it, we were there. I mean, he, he's the pastor. I was there. I knew all the things to say. I knew the right phrases. I knew the right time to use them. But I, I learned the lingo even. You can't help it. You're around it. It's what you're immersed in. But that did not cause me to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so all of my life I had heard the gospel with my ears. But one day, Oh, praise God. But one day, I heard the gospel with my heart. And the Holy Spirit drew me and I responded. And I asked Him to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Let me tell you something. The power of the gospel is 
in the Holy Spirit then taking that moment. Because I, I tell you, it, it, at times it could be one of the most difficult things because I'd have to say a sentence and wait on the translator. Say a sentence and wait on the translator. Man, that's not smooth. That doesn't flow well. I mean, you say something, you wait. You say something, you wait. You're praying for somebody that understands English so you can just go through the whole thing. But, but you just say something. So that's not about the smoothness of presentation. That's, that's not, but it is about the Holy Spirit that starts working in somebody that has prepared that person person that has opened the door of their heart and then puts them across your path. That's the power of the gospel that is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. So I want to ask you something in closing. How has the gospel changed your life? Not, not just for eternity, but how has the gospel changed your life in the here and the now? The truth, the gospel that has come to you and it's bearing fruit. Second question I want to ask you is, how are you reaching the world with this good news? Guys, at times it seems like that in our culture, we will get more excited about sharing the news with somebody about a new restaurant in town that we went and tried. And we go, you got to go there. I'm telling you that was the best steak I've ever had. Or that was the best chicken sandwich I ever had. Or that was the best this. You got to go try it out. In fact, what are you doing after church? We need to go. You want to go over there? Our passion for sharing the gospel, for sharing the good news, should so outshine things like that. Guys, when we look outside these four walls and we see a community where there may be people that get shot, or we see a community where people die hungry, people die because they don't have certain provisions. We see where that, that people are struggling through addiction to drugs and alcohol. They're, they're struggling through the pain and the embarrassment and the humiliation of, of prostitution. We see the marriages that are breaking up. We see people losing their jobs. We see people contemplating suicide. When are we going to share the gospel, the good news with a world that needs to hear that? How are we going to reach the world? How are you reaching the world with this good news? The final question is just this. Based on that, how are you seeing the gospel bear fruit and increase? You remember as we've talk through this message, there, there's two places of introspection regarding that. The first one is, how are you seeing the gospel bear fruit and increase in you? And the second one is then, when you look outside of yourself, how are you seeing the gospel bear fruit and increase? How are you seeing it in you, and how are you seeing it around you? Guys, we need to get challenged about leading people to Christ. You say, well, I mean, but, but, but we don't do the work. The Holy Spirit does the work. That's right. The Holy Spirit does the drawing, but he utilizes us to be the bearers of the message. And I wonder at times if the reason that we're not seeing in our culture and in our society what Paul said then under great persecution, under discrimination against Christianity. It was a fledgling religion. He said, but look, in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and it's increasing. Why? Because it is the truth, the gospel, 
the good news, that people can be set free from the things that have them bound up. I wonder if the reason that we don't see it bearing fruit like that in our culture, in our society, in our town, in our community, is because we're not seeing that fruit in ourselves. We're not seeing the power of God changing things in us. Because I'm going to guarantee you this. Just like when you go eat that food, you take it into you, and you go, man, that was some of the best stuff I've ever had. I've got to tell somebody else. When the power of God begins to come into us and change us, there is no way that we can't look and say, I've got to share this with somebody else. God is changing things in my life. God, God is shaping me and molding me. I am different. I have got to share this with somebody else because God can do this for them. They've got to try this. I want you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes. And, and, and I just want us to have a moment of, of prayer. Father God, I, I pray today, if there is a single person sitting here that's saying, you know what, my life's never been changed by the gospel like that. My life's not been impacted by the gospel like that. I haven't had that kind of conversion experience where that, that it changed me. And God, I pray you're going to speak to their heart today. Holy Spirit, draw at them today and cause them to respond to your gospel, your good news, and to be set free. Let them confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are who you say you are. That you've done what you have said you did. And that you want to do in them what you've promised to do. And God, for those who already have that relationship with you, but maybe it's a little on the, on the cool side, I pray that you're going to remind us of what it is that you have done. You're going to reignite a passion in us for the gospel, for the good news. And God, just like us taking in that food at a new restaurant and can't wait to tell other people about it, we're going to post it on social media, we're going to call folks, we're going to do everything, get to church and tell everybody. God, I pray that you will ignite that passion about the gospel and the good news in us that we can't wait to tell people, you have to try God. You've got to let him come in and do in you what he has done in me. Father, I pray today that you change us. Let the power of the gospel bear fruit in us and increase. Not only in us, but in the whole world.